Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's edition of the Albany Update. We'll begin today's program looking at two stories out of New York City. Last week, the City Council approved giving voting rights to non-citizens. Additionally, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio is requiring that all non-public or private school employees be vaccinated against COVID. Both of these stories constrict liberty for citizens and should be resisted. We'll go into more detail in today's program. Then, looking at state news, many municipalities are opting out of pot dispensaries in their communities. If you're curious if your town or village has taken any action on this issue, we'll tell you how you can find out. And in national news, conservatives scored a surprising win when the military draft requirement for women was dropped from the National Defense Authorization Act. We're celebrating this win. Finally, our organization, in partnership with our Family Policy Alliance friends, are preparing for a post-Roe America. We'll tell you more about a new resource recently launched that helps the pro-life community prepare for life after Roe. Let's get started. On December 9th, the New York City Council passed a bill allowing some non-citizens to vote in New York City elections. According to City and State New York, the legislation will allow immigrants with permanent residency or legal work authorization to vote in New York City races for mayor, city council, comptroller, public advocate, and borough president. Voters will be required to have resided in New York City for 30 days prior to the election in which they wish to vote. The bill was passed by a vote of 33 to 14, with two abstentions. While New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has questioned the constitutionality of the measure, he has also stated that he will not veto it. The legislation is expected to allow 800,000 to 900,000 non-citizens to vote. There are several major problems with this bill. First, there is a question of constitutionality. The New York State Constitution states that every citizen has the right to vote. Does this language merely state a minimum requirement and allow municipalities to go beyond that requirement if they so choose? Or is this language exclusive? Second, there is the problem of fairness. Allowing non-citizens to vote dilutes the impact of citizens' votes. Third, there's a practical problem. The poorly structured New York City Board of Elections is known for its incompetence. Will the board be able to handle allowing non-citizens to vote without opening the door to voter fraud? How will the board ensure that non-citizens are not mistakenly permitted to vote in federal and state races? Will separate sets of ballots for citizens and non-citizens be required? When asked whether he trusted the board to successfully implement this legislation, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson replied, It's trust, but verify. I don't know. They screw things up a lot. That's not exactly a vote of confidence. New York State Assembly Minority Leader Will Barkley, a Pulaski Republican, blasted the City Council's action, asserting that the legislation undermines our elections and diminishes the value of American citizenship. The agenda of liberal Democrats keeps moving in a more radical, extremist, and dangerous direction. This is just the latest example. And in other New York City news, in recent weeks, Mayor Bill de Blasio has taken a number of controversial actions, 
three of those actions involve COVID-19 vaccine mandates. On November 29th, Mayor Bill de Blasio, whose second and final term as mayor comes to a close at the end of this year, announced the imposition of a COVID-19 vaccine mandate upon childcare workers. This mandate affects more than 100,000 workers. Then on December 2nd, Mayor de Blasio announced that he was imposing a COVID-19 vaccine mandate upon all non-public school employees. According to Hamodia, this mandate is expected to impact approximately 56,000 employees at 938 schools. Both childcare workers and non-public school employees are directed to obtain an initial dose of a COVID-19 vaccine by December 20th. According to the New York Times, non-public school employees will not be allowed to submit to weekly testing as an alternative to vaccination. They will, however, be offered religious exemptions. Schools that fail to demonstrate compliance may be fined. Rabbi David Zweibel, chairman of the Committee of New York City Religious and Independent School Officials, wrote Mayor de Blasio to request that he reconsider his non-public school mandate. The rabbi asserted that many of our schools view COVID vaccination as a matter most appropriately left to individual choice, not government fiat. This is an area where government should be using its bully pulpit to persuade, not its regulatory arm to coerce. Rabbi Zweibel added that non-public schools could face staffing shortages or even closures because of the mandate. New York City Councilwoman Ina Vernikov, a Republican from Brooklyn, tweeted, Bill de Blasio needs to keep his hands off our private schools. This mandate is just another way for government officials to sink their teeth into our private schools and attempt to exert control. If we let this slide, we are setting a dangerous precedent. And on December 6th, Mayor de Blasio announced that all private employers would be mandated to require employee vaccination. The mandate becomes effective on December 27th and will affect approximately 184,000 businesses in New York City. Religious exemptions will be available. In addition, the mayor announced that persons over age 12 will be required to show proof of full vaccination before dining indoors at a restaurant, going to a gym, or watching a performance. Furthermore, children ages 5 to 11 in similar circumstances will be required to show that they have received at least one vaccination shot. Mayor de Blasio's vaccination mandates are dictatorial and unnecessary. The non-public school mandate is an unacceptable new encroachment upon the autonomy of those schools. The mayor has not bothered to explain why executive action was needed or even permissible in imposing these mandates, or why the city council was bypassed. He has also failed to make the case that children, who appear to be less seriously affected by COVID-19 than most adults, need more aggressive vaccine mandates. And now leaving the city and turning to state news, New York's new recreational marijuana laws allow cities, towns, and villages to opt out of two of its provisions. Municipalities may choose not to allow marijuana dispensaries and or not to allow on-site marijuana consumption lounges. However, municipalities that wish to pass opt-out ordinances are running out of time to do so. The opt-out deadline is December 31st of this year. Importantly, municipalities that opt-out must also notify the Office of Cannabis Management of their decision to do so. 
Regarding marijuana opt-outs, there is very good news. According to the Albany Times Union, as of December 6th, 441 municipalities in New York have already opted out of allowing dispensaries, consumption lounges, or both. This number represents more than a quarter of the 1,518 municipalities in the state. According to Heather Trela of SUNY's Rockefeller Institute of Government, uncertainty has fueled many of the decisions to opt out, as state regulators have yet to publish regulations or licensing requirements regarding marijuana businesses. Trela has created a helpful online resource that tracks municipalities' marijuana opt-out decisions. The website lists each municipality in the state and groups the municipalities by county. For each municipality, the website indicates what opt-out decisions have been made and the dates when those decisions were made. Are you curious about whether your city, town, or village has opted out of allowing recreational marijuana dispensaries or consumption lounges? Well, you can visit our website and find out. If your city, town, or village has not yet passed an opt-out ordinance, there's still time. So please contact your city council member or town or village board member today and encourage him or her to maintain local control by supporting an opt-out ordinance. There's a sample email that will help you to do so on our website. And now in national news. On December 7th, the U.S. House of Representatives voted 363 to 70 to pass the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022. Thankfully, due to the outspokenness and steadfastness of some members of Congress, language requiring women to register for the selective service was stripped from the NDAA. Politico described this development as a stunning turnaround after the proposal gained bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate this year. It is also a victory for military readiness and for common sense. Science supports the proposition that women should not be subjected to a military draft. A study by the Marine Corps found that service women were two to six times more likely than service men to suffer injuries in combat situations. It also found that all-male squads are usually outperforming mixed-gender squads. The purpose of a draft is to fill combat roles quickly during wartime. Drafting women does not fulfill this purpose because most women cannot meet combat fitness standards. In fact, including women in a future military draft would hinder the rapid replacement of combat casualties by diverting scarce time and resources to the challenge of evaluating and training thousands of draft-age women, just to find the few who might be minimally qualified for the requirement of combat arms. It's bad enough that the Obama administration allowed women into combat roles. Drafting women into such roles would make matters worse. The ranking Republicans on the Senate and House Armed Services Committee stood against the inclusion of the Draft Our Daughters language in the National Defense Authorization Act. While God has made both women and men in his divine image, and while men and women are equal in value and worth in his sight, we are not the same. Generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women and are more likely to withstand the rigors of combat than women are. In some circles, it is unpopular to acknowledge this gender difference, or any other gender difference. However, truth is more important than popularity. The truth is this. In most instances, a woman who is placed in a combat situation against male adversaries is facing an unfair fight. 
It is not in women's best interest or in the best interest of our nation to subject women to a military draft. And finally today, as the Supreme Court of the United States considers the case of Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and our allies at Family Policy Alliance are preparing Christians for the court's decision next summer. If the court overturns its disastrous abortion decision in Roe v. Wade and allows states to set their own abortion policies, what happens next? While our organization and Family Policy Alliance envision a future where the lives of the unborn are protected in all 50 states. In many states, abortion would be banned if Roe were overturned. Sadly, however, New York is not one of those states. If Roe were overturned tomorrow, New York would remain a pro-abortion state. Ending legal abortion in New York will be a long-term project. If you share our vision of a pro-life New York and a pro-life nation, please visit AfterRoe.com. Spearheaded by the Family Policy Alliance, the After Roe campaign aims to support pro-life citizens to stand for life on the front lines of their states. The site prominently features an interactive map with easy-to-understand explanations of abortion's legal status in each state. Furthermore, Christians can indicate their willingness to help on a national level by signing the After Roe Pledge. Pledge signers will be among the first to hear from Family Policy Alliance about key action opportunities for life. So visit AfterRoe.com today. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate, Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.